0: Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10:30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. We're in a section of Scripture here in the Old Testament, in First and Second Samuel, where Samuel is approaching. An old codger that they made, well, a young fellow, really, he was 30, when they anointed him king. Saul was the first king of Israel. Second king will be David. You'll get that next week. Third king was Solomon. That's of the united system when they're the, of the 12 tribes. After Solomon, the tribes split. The 10 tribes went to the north, referred to as Israel. The southern tribes as Judea, and, but you'll get that later. I'll give you, a, but but today Saul is being—he's an older man now. He's been king for about a generation. They forty years. Any time you see in scripture the term 40 years," that's a that's a that's what they refer to as a generation. He Saul, Samuel goes to him and says to him, and we'll give the reasons in a minute you are going to be replaced as king god has told me that you're to be rejected that he's rejecting you as king and you will be replaced by someone that he prefers meaning david saul didn't handle that well at all i i think it's fair to say that other than death rejection may be the most painful thing that you have to experience in life if indeed you've been through that at any time. That's the reason I think the Bible says, it doesn't just say why, but the Bible talks about divorce being something that God hates, even though there are places in the scripture that says there are reasons that are acceptable. But he says he hates it and i think it's because of the pain of rejection because in a divorce somebody gets rejected and there's great pain that goes with it and even though saul deserved to be rejected it was still really painful for him and i think the bigger the ego probably the more painful the situation saul started off as really a humble guy when when he was selected to be the first king and you got to remember that the people were saying samuel who was their the religious leader of the nation at the time god said samuel your two sons are corrupt and the people knew that they were corrupt. And so they said, we we want a king like the other nations around us have. We, we want a king with skin on. And uh, Samuel took that as a rejection of himself. But God said, hey, look, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me because you're not the king. You're just the priest of it. They're rejecting me because God was their king. And uh, the leaders later on, even when David becomes the king of Israel, he didn't refer to himself as king. He referred to himself as the prince, God being the king. That was one of the reasons why David had such a preference by God as the leader over Israel. He had his faults. He had a fast zipper and some other problems, but... uh, but the one thing he never did is he never lost sight of the fact that god was really the ruler so saul is going to be replaced and the story we have today to to deal with is uh why why was he replaced now you have to see you have to look at all of this back in the eighth chapter of the first samuel and we're in 13, 14, 15 for the the rejection story. But you, you have to see everything in the lens of what took place earlier when Israel, the people, said, we want a king. And when they finally did that, God said, okay, give them what they want, but make sure they know what the consequences are if they do that make spell that out with clarity. In verse 9 it says now listen to them he's this is God talking to Samuel but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king will do when he reigns over you. Be sure and and, and so the next several verses I'm not going to read them but the next several verses is the spelling out of what the king will do and when he starts behaving like the kings of the surrounding nations because you recall and we're going to look at some couple of really difficult passages for the church today not just our congregation but for all who believe in the bible and who believe that there is a god we'll talk about those difficult passages just before we close so israel the people have demanded to be like and so, what they've done, as you know, is they have allowed their culture to influence them more than their God. That's the reason the New Testament says, for people like you and me, it says, be not conformed to this world, which is 10 Cent Store Northern Kentucky talk for saying, don't let the world influence you, but be changed by thinking the way God thinks, by the renewing of the, your mind learning to think the way god thinks and and our culture today has almost abandoned that in total i'm of the opinion politically that our nation blessed and was greatly and grew wonderfully well through these through the couple hundred years because there was a a significant port part of our population who made at least an effort to think that way but within the last 20 years the percentage of people who are faithful at church i'm not talking about those who show up once in a while i'm talking about those who are faithful put going to church as a priority in their life and didn't back off of that now i'm going to put my opinion in here and and uh, and 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 you may or may not like it. But I don't really care much. (laughs) I'll tell you this. Part of it was the way I was raised. And part of it is because of the way. How I interpret scripture. I see. When the biblical writer said. Forsake not. The assembling of yourselves together. I take that not as an opinion, but as a clearly stated will of God. Amen. And in my thinking, in my thinking, we have gotten to the place where attending church on a faithful, regular basis, for me to miss a church service creates a degree of anxiety. And, and, I, and I can't help that. I was raised both to believe that that's what you ought to do and, and that was practice. My mother was hardcore. We would have, she had a, a sister with a, that she was close to, Anzellma, Elman. they had their five kids and they would come visit. And mother would tell them, well, oh, you can either go to church with us or you can stay here until we get home. And that was routinely done. There was no exceptions to that. We didn't go to grandma's until after we'd gone to Sunday school and church. And uh, it and and it, we had to go on Sunday night, and we even went. And the kid, my brothers and I agreed going on Wednesday night was okay, because if we went to prayer meeting on Wednesday night, then my oldest brother got the car so we could go to Lucky Buck night to drive in on at Aberdeen on Thursday. So you know, so we could take nine or ten people in the car and get in for a dollar i won't push that any further and just say that that happened often so prayer meeting for us paid dividends but nonetheless the point being to miss the church service and communion in particular was something because the early church often did not have preaching they often had someone to read scripture. Even Timothy, if you read Timothy carefully, he would read scripture for them, a letter from Paul, a letter from Peter that is included in your New Testament. And then they would have a carry-in supper, because most of the time they met at night, because many of them were slaves that had to work through the day. And so they would show up at night, and at the concluding of the meal, they took the bread and the wine, just like it was celebrated initially by Jesus. I've been talking to the Saturday night crowd that comes here and, and there's maybe 75 people who come pretty faithfully and so we've been and we eat supper once a month back here and, uh, and that's really a good thing because it saves me having to uh, Saturday nights Alice Kay goes on strike in the kitchen and so we either have to buy it and it's better if you all bring it we get it free it's, it's a better deal it's uh, I think definitely the will of God I don't have that in writing now, but nonetheless, I've been encouraging them to one of these nights just as a uh, a trial, is that we have a different man at each table with the communion stuff on the table, and at the conclusion of our meal, we celebrate the Lord's Supper like that, and I'd just like to try it, and uh, it hasn't been blessed by the women who run the show yet, but we've been talking about it. But I was raised that you just, and the early church was that way, you just didn't miss communion. Now, that all changed during the Reformation, and it should not have changed. The reason it changed is because the Reformers said, we don't want to look like the Catholic Church. And so they did 180 on some things, and so communion may be once a month, once a quarter, once a year, once a whatever, according to... What the congregation may determine they want but the Catholic Church wasn't wrong about that they had some other things that were kind of screwy but they weren't wrong about that and and we made a drastic mistake and they said well why would you because communion reminds us of the cross and it reminds us that God Paid the took upon himself the responsibility of paying for our sins on the cross by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And, and the preaching of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus was the central theme of the New Testament preachers. And, and there's nothing more important. The resurrection isn't any good unless the sin problem is dealt with the resurrection was there to prove who jesus was so that the death on the cross could be vindicated and 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 so you you see that that communion thing is so important lest we forget lest we forget of god's grace when he interceded in human history and assumed upon himself the responsibility which is called Mercy, and out of his tender heart, offered to anyone who would the opportunity of eternal life through their faith in Jesus Christ. And we need to be re- reminded of that on a routine basis. Now, I, I don't—I'm not bad mouthing the churches who don't. I'm just saying I wish they get it straight because it really is important. It really is important. Now, with that said, I had to get that off my mind because uh, every once in a while, I just get a belly full of something and uh, and I kind of have to say it. Let's get back to to King Saul for a minute. Saul was one of these guys who really looked good. I've never liked people like that very much because they were always bigger than me, better looking than me, and had a better shot at the girls. And that was enough reason for me to not like them from my point of view. For you see, nearly all of the leadership of the nations when they selected a king was directly related to their appearance. I don't know whether you've ever watched and paid any attention to the movie where Scotland is, re, is it's called Braveheart, if you recall. If you were to check who this guy was, the Scot that, that led that revolt against England, you will find out that he, like King Saul, was head and shoulders above, physically above everybody else in the country. He was what Matthew calls a big dude. I'm not real certain what a dude is. But anyway, that's the way he described it. He's a big dude. Well, that's the way they picked, that was one of the ways that they picked Saul. He was head and shoulders above everybody else in the country. He was a big dude. And uh, and it spells that out with a great deal of clarity here in, in Scripture when he was selected. Because you recall, he was actually a pretty humble guy initially. And Samuel, it appears, really liked him. Because when Saul got into trouble and was kicked out of office Saul, Samuel just grieved over it he was heartbroken because he really thought that he really liked the guy so he, and and he was he was a humble guy because you remember when he was selected they couldn't find him they looked around and said well where is this guy he's big enough to hunt bears a switch where is he he was hiding among the the luggage they said because he was just humbled by the fact that they chose him. He said, look, of all the tribes of Israel, I'm from one of the smallest. My family is is not anything of him. Why did you pick me? The Bible says because God looks upon the hearts of people and not just their physical appearance. The people wanted him because of his physical appearance. And the scripture spells that out, I think, with a great deal of clarity. Here in the, what the... Uh, it was, I think, in the 10th chapter here of this, this uh, saga of, of him in verses, what, 21, 22, somewhere like that. See if I can find it. Yeah, here it is. And the Lord said, well, they said, well, wh- 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 where is he? And, they, and the Lord said, he has hidden himself among the baggage. And then verse 23 says, they ran and brought him out. And as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. And Samuel said to all of the people, Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There's no one like him among all the people. And the people shouted, Long live the king. Now, so why did God reject him? What did he do that he said, "Yay, your days are numbered. You're out of here, and I'm going to replace you with somebody I like better. Now, Samuel didn't say that. God said that. The reason is because there is a whole list of sins that, uh, that, that Saul committed. And then there was the one that just finally got to the place where they said, This is it. You've had it. And we'll talk about that in a minute. So, so you got to keep this in mind. In verse 25, Samuel explained to the people... The regulations of the kingship. Are, are you looking for somebody? Trying to find somebody? Gary, are you trying to find somebody? Oh, okay. I just, uh, okay. He had that look of a deer in the headlights, and I just didn't know whether it wasn't. Okay. Samuel explained to the people the regulations of the kingship. He not only explained it to him in front, and the king standing there. He wrote them down on a scroll and deposited it before the Lord, which probably means it was put in the tabernacle for safekeeping. Now, so here's the deal. Saul knew exactly what was expected of him by God. But what he did is so often the case, he forgot who put him in office. He didn't earn it. God selected him and put him in office and then gave him the presence of the Holy Spirit to give him strength and wisdom and power. So he had no excuse for not obeying. But he got to the place where he thought, well, if God is a God of love and he likes me that much, he'll cut me a lot of slack. He forgot what we need to remember. To whom much is given, much is required. He forgot that. That's the reason why the Bible actually says that those of us who teach the Bible and lead the church are expected, where we, I'd even go further, are required to be a cut above by both attitude and, uh, and behavior. He was the head of the whole nation. And he got to the place where he thought, like our culture today, if God is a God of love, I can get away with about anything. Because we forget, don't we, that God isn't just a God of love. He is also a God of justice and judgment. And we like to forget that. But it's there as clearly as can be and saul forgot that the day would come when he would be held accountable for the quality of his leadership and his behavior in particular and now because time and time again samuel would go to him and say now i'm convinced he really liked him and and he said you know because I, in growing up in the ministry, because I started preaching when I didn't have any business starting preaching, and but Mr. Lusby, the president of the college, said, "There's a church down here that can't get a preacher, and you're near no preachers I know, so you can go," and uh, and I did, and I was just barely eighteen, so. But there was. Some older men who would looked after me, and, and I can't give you the reason why they did. I can just tell you that they did. Joe Dampier was a leader among the Christian church people. He was uh, an old-timer, great big belly, a voice like a foghorn. And he would just periodically show up. And he wasn't the only one. there were a couple of others. And they had the nerve to set me down and talk to my head. And it wasn't always pleasant. It wasn't always pat on the behind and say, oh, you're doing good. One of the old guys who was actually, his, his name was religious, he, he was his name was Bishop. His real name was Bishop McMurray. And Brother McMurray set me, to, and he'd, he'd have me to eat lunch with him on occasion, and he would sit me down and say, Now, Brother Scott, as a young man, and I was still in my 20s, he would say, You're the best preacher we ever had. But, and this is where it got uncomfortable, he would say, Your behavior and your attitude must be equal to your ability to teach, because if you don't, if who you are, your behavior, your attitude isn't above normal, isn't above average, it will undercut the quality of your preaching. The two have to go hand in hand, and that isn't always, because what he's really saying is, you ain't there yet. And he was right, but when you're young, that's a bitter pill to swallow. Saul didn't have that excuse, because he now was probably 70 years old, because he was anointed by Samuel when he was 30. And he had, the scripture says, been king for a generation, which means 40 years. He didn't have that. So what were the things that were written down that he violated, that caused God to say, you got to go. Well, he had a son, Jonathan, who was a good friend of David's. Anyway, Jonathan really led the military. And in in at least two or three instances, he had a, a solid victory over the Philistines, who were their primary enemies. And instead of giving his son credit for it, he took credit for it. You know, the politicians do that all the time. Well, it happened under my administration, so I get credit for it. He didn't have anything to do with it. And it and happens with all of the politicians. They just do that. Saul was, had become more of a politician than he was a godly leader. And God was looking for a godly leader. So he went from humility, the guy could, that wondered why they had selected him, to, to, to religious and political arrogance, which is really distasteful, isn't it? And he had gotten to that place. He not only had done that, uh, he, he assumed, because remember, the people said, we want a king like the kings are of the surrounding nations. Well, what were they like? the kings of the surrounding nations had total power. And so, if they wanted to, uh, uh, they, what, they did whatever they wanted to. They were they controlled the military and they were a military dictatorship, so they did whatever they wanted to. Saul said, Well, you wanted me to be like they are. I'll do that too. But what was written down in the regulations that God had given, was very clear that said, look, you can be in charge of the military, you can be the administrator, you, you can be the king, and you can be a prophet. Because you're, he said, I've given you the capacity to prophesy. And one of the sayings was, you know, Saul is numbered with the prophets. But what you can't do is to take the responsibility of being a priest. That's reserved for the descendants of Levi. The Levites have total control over that, and you're forbidden to do it. And he said, well, I can't buy that. The other kings do it, I'm going to do it. So he would go to the tabernacle and offer sacrifices. And, Saul, and Samuel would say, Saul, you can't do that. But he insisted on doing it. He wanted to be prophet, priest, and king. Because, you see, if you remember in the Old Testament, and it's referred to again in the New Testament, there was a the, the king-priest of Salem. His name was Melchizedek. Melchizedek was the priest. He was the king-priest over Salem, which later on became Jerusalem. Saul said, hey, they do it. I do it. You wanted, you wanted a king like that? You got one. And then he was told, and this gets difficult, he was told, Samuel said, God has spoken to me about the Amalekites. The Amalekites were really, really bad people. They, had act, they, would, they would raid someone, steal their cattle, steal their sheep, steal their women. And, and, and they, would, they were guilty of raping. And they even enjoyed finding pregnant women and opening them up. I mean, they were just awful. And so God said, get rid of them. And he, and I think what happened, because the scripture doesn't say this, what I'm getting ready to say. It's an assumption on my part. I think that Saul actually knew their king. Because you remember, kings of the world have always kind of hung out with each other. They even married each other's daughters and all that. They've always done that. Did it in Europe for years. There was even some politics that went with that. Probably the worst of the bunch was Solomon. All of those women that he had were really the daughters of the surrounding kings They're there to keep down, and he would keep them there to keep down any military conflict between them. And it worked. So what we have going on here is that uh, Saul, he misunderstood or just denied what was going on. Because Samuel came to him and said, Saul, you've got to wipe. They have to disappear. They not only are a problem to us now, they they treated us that way when I was leading the children of Israel out of captivity and bringing them to the promised land. They did all kinds of evil things. I want them gone. Now, folks, this becomes a really problem for the church today because our culture says God is a God of love, and if he were really a God of love, he wouldn't eradicate people. But you see... People say things like that when they've never even read the Bible they don't know they don't know anything about God they've had no theological training at all and the word theology is two couple Greek words that are thrown together into one word it comes the word theos where we get God and logos which is a word the Word of God the only thing we know about God is what he has revealed to us in Scripture And if they don't know the scripture they just make up their own rules and our culture has done that they say well god is a god of blood and he wouldn't do that to anybody because he's a god of love but god knows everything and he knows if there is a person or a group of people who are beyond help we don't we can't arbitrarily say that because we can't see the hearts of people god can He said, these people are so bad that they're really just animals wearing human skin. And they need to disappear. Saul said, okay. But he made made a mistake. He said, God said to him, here's what you're to do. You're not only to kill the people. You're to kill their animals. You're to kill Everything. Everything. And uh, so he said, uh, th- this is the way that it has to be. And, and it sounds awful when you read it. It says, now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Don't spare them. Put to death the men, women, children, infants, cattle, sheep, camels, and donkeys. And so he did all of that except... He saw some of the cows, and he saw some of the sheep, and these are the best that they've stolen from. They've stole all those things, and they, and they were the best around. And Saul said, I'd be ashamed to do that, so I'll save them. And by the way, he, he saved the, the king too. Agag was his name. But Saul, verse 9 says, But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat, the fat calves and the lambs, and everything that looked good. They were unwilling to destroy completely. Samuel comes to Saul and said, Saul, you were told to wipe out, get rid of anything that would remind anybody any time, of the Amalekites. Saul said, yeah, I did that. He said, he gave me the mission. In Verse 20 says, I did obey the Lord. I went on the mission. The Lord assigned me and I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back their king. Whoops. And Samuel, being a clever old preacher, said, Saul, what is that I hear? Baa, 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 and go boo, boo. What is that? Sound like a sheep to me. Sound like a cow to me. Where'd he come from? Oh, he said, I kept some of those so I could offer them for sacrifices. Lying, now he's lying through his tree. You know what we do? We've always learned from our own politicians that the cover-up's always worse than the sin. That was the same problem here. And and Samuel said to him, Saul, I hate to tell you this because I'm inserting this, because I really like you, but God has said, you've gone too far. You've got to be replaced. And Saul said, hey, would you do me this one favor? Would you walk with me among the people? So would you do And and Samuel said, no, I'm not going to do that. You're wanting to look good in spite of the fact that you've been bad. No, I'll not do that. Preachers have to do some awful tough things at times. Some things that aren't very popular, but are Necessary you have to take a stand because the bible actually says that we are to take a stand on some things very clear about that if you and and uh, let me see here if i can see my watch that's a, I got another hour according to my watch here no not really Samuel had to bring the message to the king that the day was over. And that, because uh, Samuel, actually, what he had done, what Saul had done, was similar to what had happened when Israel came into the land. They conquered Jericho. They didn't have to, I mean, they didn't fire a shot. God fixed it. And, but one of the, and he, they were told, okay, when you conquer Jericho, anything there you're totally anything anybody that's left there you to totally wipe out all the animal, get rid of everything except the things you can't do away. and they were they had a lot of gold and silver and stuff and so he said you can't destroy that so you take that back and put it in the treasury for israel because sooner or later they're going to have to build a temple and that was going to help them well, a guy named Achan, you remember, kept some of it and buried it in his tent, and uh, didn't tell anybody. Now they weren't soldiers; they were people who were walking around tooting horns. They weren't soldiers; they didn't have to fight. God did it for them. So oh, when then when they conquered Jericho, the next town was a city called Ai. It's pronounced Ai, and it's not artificial intelligence; it's the name of the town. And they went to that, ta- and guess what? They got beat. The people that I kicked their fannies. And they come back and say, what's going on here, God? You told us we were, he said, because you lied, you cheated. You got some stuff hidden in the tent somewhere that belongs in the treasury. And so they found Achan and they did away with him. Saul did the same thing even though he knew about Achan. He knew that. But he, he'd gotten to the place where he said, Well, God will let me get away with it. I'm, I'm the king after all. I should be able to do whatever I want to. You know, the Bible actually says we have a problem. Because if you're not very careful, even though you're a believer, you will get to the place where you think that God is so loving and gracious. That you can do whatever you want to do in your own eyes. That's the term that's used in the New Testament. But the Bible is abundantly clear. It says, if you love God, you will keep his commandments. If you love him, you obey him. If you love, if children love their parents, you obey them. Saul had gotten to the place where he was like our culture today. Whatever he wanted to do, he thought he had a right to do it, and he would do it. Our whole country is in a heap of trouble because we have assumed that same thing as people. And I don't know when the day will come that God will say, Enough is enough. But judgment does come sooner or later, and it's never pleasant. Never pleasant. You know, I can remember my father was really easygoing and a sweet spirited soft-spoken old guy. He never gave me but one whipping in my life. This one, he would th- he would threaten. The, ah, he'd say ah. That's usually as bad as it got. Ah, sound like he's clearing his throat, but we got the message. And. And the whipping that I got, by the way, was memorable. I I still remember how it took place, but you don't need to hear that. You wouldn't want me to be embarrassed before you. But we're too often today said, our culture says, the God of the Bible cannot be the God of the world. Because God could not be that vicious. He couldn't be. And you hear that a lot if you pay attention. Because we do not want to talk about being held accountable for our behavior. Accountability we don't want. And yet, it will happen. We will be held accountable. And we should be. And then the other thing that is often mentioned that is a problem is God, actually, God selected Saul. He did it through a system that they had put together, but he selected Saul, made him king. Now he kicked him out. So the opponents of the Bible, the anti-Bible people say, so God made a mistake? And and if he is God he couldn't make a mistake so the God of the Bible can't be the God of creation and so on and so forth we and so there is we all the time find ourselves on the defensive because people do not the people who are in charge of the story don't know the God of the Bible They don't know. They just have picked out, they've cherry-picked and found a couple of things that makes it difficult to explain. And it is difficult to explain. Let's admit it. Because he can only be a God of love. Because the Bible does say God is a God of love. God, in fact, John goes so far as to say he is the embodiment of love. God is love. What's this? So we can't deny that but you see they haven't studied the whole book they've just cherry-picked that one thing God is also a jealous God the Bible says and he is a God who will call us to a day of accounting It's called judgment and it will happen and I'm a little sick and tired of God getting blamed for what satan does because it routinely you say god is in charge of everything and everything he wants he gets no that's not true because god gave us the freedom to choose we became free moral agents and we have we have he gave us and in order to do that he put limitations on himself because he's the only one that can put limitations on he limited himself in order to give us the freedom to choose the bible actually said you know, in in the old Testament, choose you this day whom you will serve will you serve god or idols and it was said in the time of joshua and joshua said as for me and my house we will serve the living God. More of us need to be faced with that choice. Are we going to listen to the culture and the God of this world, who, by the way, is called the prince of this world, Satan himself, or do we study the scriptures to see what, who God really is and be obedient to him? Because he has, just like he did with Saul, he has written down the regulations. It's called the Bible. So we are without excuse. We are. And the only Jesus that the world is going to see is the Jesus they see in you and me. That's the only one they're ever going to see, until it's too late. The Apostle Paul said, here's the goal. For me to live is Christ. And when you get to that place, to die is gain. For me to live is Christ. You say, well, actually, in the sixth chapter of, of the book of Galatians, the apostle Paul says, you're to be imitators of God. Well, how are you going to imitate him if you don't know anything about him? So you have to study the scriptures to see what God has revealed about himself so that we can emulate him so the world can know who he is. You see, Israel was, turned out to be a total failure. Why? Because the mandate that God gave them was this. I want you to live so that the surrounding nations will be impressed with who your God is. And they flunked. They got a big fat F. They just stayed there long enough for the Messiah to come, which was God's ultimate plan anyway. And then it fell apart. It scattered all over the face of the earth. Guess what? The church has the same mandate that Israel had. We're to go into all the world and show the world the God that we worship by the life that we live, primarily by how we treat each other and how we treat them. Christians are to have the the reputation, according to the book, we don't, But we should have the reputation of people who are willing to deny ourselves of luxury in order to benefit somebody else. Because in this country, most of us can live a pretty luxurious life if we choose to. That self-denial is one of the first things that Jesus said he expected of his followers. Except you deny yourself and take up the cross daily, you're not qualified to follow me. And yet I think I can say that very few of us have a reputation of having denied ourselves of much. Now, be careful here now because that was the sin of Saul. And if we're not awfully careful, we fall into the same category. I really don't have the time uh, to go into some of the detail that I would really like to, and you don't want me to anyway, because it's not very pleasant. The, uh, the church of today, in my opinion... On a, on a broad-scale basis, the church of today has been more influenced by the world that we live in than by the Bible we're supposed to read. The result is which, the result is kind of obvious. Our whole country has suffered as a result of it. You see, we live in a time when the things that are good are vilified. And we were told, watch out, because that time is coming. More than one place in Scripture. I'm reminded in particular of, say, the 14th chapter of the book of Romans. Down about verse, what, 16? 16. it's it's just kind of you know the problem that he was addressing was that the eating of meats see that, that that's not a problem for us here but for them it was the biggest problem they faced because the 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 pagan priests would have people to bring in their best animals for a sacrifice and then they would sacrifice it then the priest got to keep a big portion of it and he would have he would keep the part to eat and then what he didn't eat he would take down to the local meat market it was cheap because it didn't cost anything there was it was taken to the meat market to 100% profit whatever they got and so Christians would go buy that cheap meat to eat now, here's an old guy who was just converted from the pagan temple where the priests offered it. And they, and the Christians had already been told, that meat's full of demons. You don't want to have anything to do with it. Now, your Christians are going down there and biting and eating it. And the apostle Paul said, it's not full of demons. You can pray for it and eat it, and that's okay. Unless it causes a weaker brother to stumble. And you would be better off never to eat meat or drink wine or whatever it takes that would cause someone else to stumble. Here's what he says. Do not allow what you consider to be good to be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved to men. So let's make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. If that means you only eat lettuce and chew on carrots rather than to cause a weaker brother to stumble, dip your carrots in peanut butter, it tastes better. You'll be fine. I have people all the time who ask me, what's wrong with a glass of wine? Or what's wrong with a Bud Bud Light? In themselves, probably nothing. Probably nothing. Years ago, we had a a coach here in town. I got two three minutes left. I tell you a tale. We had a coach here at, at Portsmouth High School that uh, had kids got into trouble. His own children got into some trouble. So I went to visit them and talked with them and da 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 da. And they lived down here pretty close. And uh, George and his wife started coming here to church, and they were kind of—they—they'd uh, grown up in a, in a Methodist church, and uh, they'd never been dipped. And I told them they'd been dipped if they ain't been dipped. And so anyway, they came here, and and, uh, and the wife took it seriously. George Heller—he never did take it too seriously. And I—I I was raising a little cane about alcohol then, because at that time alcohol was probably a bigger problem than drugs at that time pot was just making its entry into the our little world and now i think we've got a new business here that's not going to do anything but sell it but uh one form or another so George was, he came, he said, what's wrong? He said, after we play 18 holes of golf and out at the country club and, and, it, and we go out there and just sit down and, 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 and drink a beer, what's wrong with that? It's and I said, I tell you what, George, let's do it this way. Next time you go to the country club, take me and let me play with you. And then afterwards, we go in and you buy me a beer. I'll drink a beer with you. How do you like that? said i wouldn't like that why wouldn't it is is it all right for you and not for me he said no i i don't think you should drink beer i said i don't so why would you quit drinking for me if i quit drinking for you he said well i really like the taste of it and i said i like to look at pretty women too but my wife says that ain't a good thing Because, you see, we are living in a culture that says gratification, even for your lower desires, is okay. But it also says, the Bible says, at all costs, avoid the natural desires of the flesh and actively seek those things that please God and the Holy Spirit will equip us to do that. And if and when we do and if and when we do, the world will wake up to the fact of who God really is because they'll be able to see Him in us. Because we're willing to deny what gives us gratification and pleasure to the flesh in order to honor him. That's why the church came into existence anyway. We haven't done a very good job of it. and I think we need to look deep within ourselves individually and corporately and ask ourselves, how can we do better? How can we do better? And how can we help each other do better? How can we get to the place where a world can see God in us? Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for revealing who you are in your word. And I pray that over a period of time, guys like Matthew and me and others will be able to clearly and effectively Let everybody know what you say about yourself in your word. And help us, oh God, to take it seriously and not be like Saul. Because he was rejected. And we sure don't want to be. We want to someday be in your presence. And you'll be glad to see us. Help us, Father, to work toward that end. It's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're free to go. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.